when's the last time you definitely felt like an outsider? Um, I'm, I'm pretty outgoing. I'm pretty extroverted. So a lot of times when I walk into a new situation, I can make like 10 new friends right away. And that's, that's not a problem for me as far as my personality. But I also recognize that sometimes I walk into those situations and everybody knows each other and they've all been friend for, friends for a while. And so it's hard sometimes to break in when you don't already have some of those connections. Uh, I remember when I was in college, I got an internship uh, with a big multinational that was established. And I walked in and the first day, the only person that I had ever met in that building before was the person that was gonna be my direct supervisor. And the whole office was, it had been there for like four or five years. And so everybody knew each other. And I was the youngest person there for like, by like a decade. Uh, most, the average age was probably old enough to be my dad or my mom. Like that was just the vibe of the office, right? And that, since they all knew each other and they were all a lot older, I just felt this enormous distance between myself and everyone else that was there. Um, and I was just, I was really aware of the fact that as I walked in, I'm not one of them right? I'm somebody else. I'm just this college kid that's walking in and everybody here owns suits that I could never afford, right? Like it's just the whole vibe was, was not my people. Uh, and, and so today we're talking about a little bit that feeling of being an outsider and specifically the fact that Jesus loves everybody and saves everybody, even the outsiders, and maybe even especially the outsiders when, when we look at it. Uh, we're still in Matthew chapter 15, uh, last night, last week, Mike talked about Jesus debating with the Pharisees and, and how that conversation went. The Pharisees didn't really appreciate Jesus very much. Uh, it was Jesus exposing their hypocrisy. They didn't, they didn't love that. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to continue sort of that story. We're going to continue to work through uh, sort of the aftermath of that. Uh, so Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. So this is a little bit awkward. Uh, Jesus is leaving the area where he's done most of his ministry. He had this long conversation with the Pharisees. They didn't like him. And so he just dipped out. Like he takes off, he heads up north and he's not in Israel anymore. He's up in uh, the region of Tyre and Sidon. Uh, can I get my map? Did my map come through? We had some IT issues. Hey, my map's there. All right. So where Jesus normally hangs out is where the blue star is. This isn't as clear as I hope. The blue star is kind of on the right side toward the top. That's Capernaum. That's Jesus' hometown. Uh, Jerusalem's all the way down on the bottom in the red. Uh, and then up at the top, that green star, that's where Jesus is kind of hanging out. Tyre is a city. Sidon is a city. There's a whole region up there. And so Jesus went up into that region. It's outside of Israel. The red and the bluish at the bottom are Israel. Uh, and so Jesus is outside of his native land. He's not hanging out with his people. He's in a different area. It is the same Roman Empire. So it's, it's, it's still ruled by the same people. So it's not like he's moving to an, a country that's different from a, from a ruling perspective. But it's a different language. It's a different national identity. It's a different religious background. Everything's different where Jesus is at. So from the disciples' standpoint, Jesus has this argument with the religious leaders and then runs into enemy territory. And so they're maybe not that comfortable with what Jesus is doing here. 
and, and honestly, this is not, it's not a great marketing move for Jesus, but the disciples have the wrong attitude about it. Uh, they, they look at Jesus and they think that what he's doing, they might think, we don't know for sure, but they, they seem to be really focused on the Jews and Israel and that seems to be their, the only place that they're comfortable and Jesus is willing to sort of step outside that. And this woman comes and she's not a Jew. She's not f- religiously from the same background that they are and they really don't appreciate her. Uh, as Jews, the disciples recognized that they were God's special people and that they had this revelation that not everyone in the world had. So they had maybe a little bit of overinflated sense of their own importance. And some of that is justified because they did have this history of, of a relationship with God as a nation. But I think what happens sometimes, and this seems to happen, have happened in Israel, is that when God's gracious and reveals himself to a group of people, sometimes we get a little bit arrogant about it. I'm switching like we and them, I I recognize that because it's a them problem, it's also sometimes an us problem. Uh, We get a little bit arrogant about the fact that God has revealed himself, like we know something, and so we think we're special. And so the disciples think that they're a little bit more special, like maybe God loves them a little bit more, like, and it's maybe because of what they've done rather than just the grace of God. They don't recognize that God is gracious and revealing himself, and, and they think maybe they're special because they're that great. They're that amazing, right? And so their their attitude is a little bit off. And so when this woman comes and she's approaching Jesus, they're like, ah, you're not as special as we are. Can you please not be here? Right? Like it's, it's really, it's mean. It's kind of aggressive. The disciples hadn't really learned humility. They don't realize that, that Jesus is, is there for everybody. So this woman, she's a foreigner. She's not following Jesus in the spiritual sense that we know of, but she is actually physically following him. Um, She's asking him, can you heal my daughter? And it seems like she's a little bit insistent on this. Think of this, this this is the weird part, right? Think of this as not you're walking down the street and some homeless guy asks you for change, but like you say no and he keeps following you and aggressively asking you, why are you not giving me change? You clearly have enough. And, and you just want to get away from this guy. You're like, ah, oh, he's following me. I, I know none of you guys have ever said no to anybody that's homeless and asking for money. I know that that's not a thing that anybody would do. But this is, this is that aggressive, like, I'm not comfortable with this. This person is harassing me, and I just want to be here on my own. And so the disciples recognize that, and they're like, can we just, Jesus, just tell her no and push her away. And, and this woman is being persistent. And I think the reason is because she doesn't have a whole lot of options. When you look at this woman, she doesn't have probably the same religious background as as the disciples do, and so there's not space in her religious structure for this demon to be dealt with, right? That's not a thing for for non-Jesus people to get rid of demons. There's no way that that happens. And so she can't just go to her local whatever priest and have this demon kicked out. She doesn't have that as one of, an op- one of the options. And, and so she's just been dealing with this. Think of, think of how much parents love their kids, right? So parents in general are willing to sacrifice quite a bit for their kids. That's just the way that parents naturally tend to be. We love our kids and we want what's best for them. And so we'll put ourselves out, we'll be inconvenienced and stressed and all these different things because we love our kids and we want what's best for them. When you think about a mom who loves her daughter very much, 
And then she's dealing with the fact that this daughter is demon-possessed. Like, that rips your heart out, right? Like, your kid that you love, that you care about deeply, and there's this evil that's in them, and you can't, you know it's not them, and you can't fix it. And there's no, there's nothing you can do about it. It's just there. And also, it's destroying your life. Like, this woman is living with a demon in her house. That's a, that's a daily occurrence. And this demon, like, when we look at the, the New Testament and some of the things that demons do, they're just, they're malicious. They're trying to mess everything up intentionally. And so there's no point where this woman gets a break because as soon as she turns her head for a second, this evil spirit is trying to mess with her daughter or her in different ways. And so it's this constant presence of evil in her life she can't get away from. We assume that this daughter is still living with her, right? Like, that's... That's kind of the natural assumption that the daughter's a little bit younger. I don't know how accurate that is. But when you think about how, how difficult and stressful that is, like this woman is at the end of her rope. Again, back to parents. So when we were growing up, my brother had a bunch of allergies. And it was inconvenient for our family, right? Because... Okay, he was allergic to wheat, so that means that there's a lot of things that have wheat that we just didn't eat. Rather than getting spaghetti for dinner, we had a lot of rice and chicken because that was something that he could eat. And so rather than my mom making like three different dinners, she made one dinner and we all had to eat it, so it had to be something he could have. And you think about that, and just like adjusting on the fly for things that are inconvenient in your family life, you don't get to do that with demonic oppression. There's no point where you're like, well, if we change the way that we structure Thursdays, we can make this demon problem be minimized. Like, that's not, that's not a possibility. There's no way that there's any piece of your life that is not overrun by this reality. And so this woman has spent the last however many years of her life literally just trying to keep her daughter alive. And there's not really anything that she thinks that she can do to fix this. So when she comes to Jesus and the disciples are like, this woman's a little bit inconvenient. She's like, ha ha, you have no idea how inconvenient I'm going to be, right? Like, she's going to get an audience with Jesus. She's going to get a change because this is everything that she has in her life. It's her daughter. It's her daily existence. It's, it's everything. She has to get this from Jesus. And so she's desperate. And, and what seems a little bit more annoying is that when Jesus doesn't respond to her, she just gets more insistent. I'm sure that the disciples were like, Jesus, say something. She's just going to follow us. And for her, she's like, Jesus, you have to give me an answer. It's, it's Jesus or it's nothing. And that's really the situation that she's in. And, and it's interesting when we look at that because she, she shouldn't recognize Jesus, but she does. So Jesus is in a foreign land. He's not from around here. She probably doesn't know the full extent of who Jesus is or what Jesus can do, but she does know that he's got this ability. And we don't know how she knows that. She calls him Lord, son of David, right? She, so she comes to him and she addresses him by the fact that he's God's appointed king. So she knows something about who he is. She has some level of understanding that Jesus is, has power over demons and that he's the promised Messiah. Right, like if you said... Jesus, you're a son of David, that would mean, okay, well, she knew he was Jewish. But she's like, you're the son of David. You're the one. You're the promised Messiah that's coming to rescue Israel. Also, you have authority over demons. We need to have this conversation. Before we move forward, 
I want to just take a second and look at some of the attitudes that we've already seen, okay? So last week, we talked a little bit about the Pharisees, and they essentially rejected Jesus, just flat out said, no, Jesus, we don't believe in you. We, we reject the fact that you could possibly come from God. The disciples are choosing to follow Jesus, but they don't really understand who he is or what he might be trying to do. So they're, they're, they, they know that Jesus is Jesus and they know that he's the son of God and they've got some understanding of that, but they don't really re- realize the fullness of who he is. And so when Jesus does something that seems to contradict their religious upbringing, they get a little bit cranky. The woman is desperate and begs Jesus for help, and she only probably knows intellectually a little bit, but she actually just has the right answer. She just comes to Jesus and she goes, I know a little bit about who you are. I really need help. You're the only one that can help me. That's the appropriate attitude. Right, so, so we've got the Pharisees, they just reject Jesus, the disciples that are trying to follow Jesus, but maybe are a little bit unclear on some of the details, and then this woman who doesn't really follow Jesus, but she has the right attitude. She really understands uh, what Jesus is capable of. So my first question for you is, what's, what's your attitude toward Jesus? Because I, there's not that many people that come to church on a Sunday morning that just outright reject Jesus. So that the Pharisees' piece is probably not where most of us are at. But I think a lot of us get very quickly to the point where we're like the disciples in that we've got an idea of Jesus in our heads. And when Jesus does something that's maybe inconsistent with that, or when somebody else asks a question that doesn't fit with that, we get cranky and we just want to kind of push them away. You're, you're not, you don't understand. Stop, stop annoying my idea of Jesus. Or do we have the attitude of the woman, which is, maybe I don't know everything, but man, Jesus is my only solution. My big idea this morning is this. Jesus saves anyone who humbly asks in faith. There's nobody that Jesus is going to turn away if they come to him in faith and humility. That means whatever your background is, wherever you come from, if you come to Jesus in humility and with faith, there's going to be help. There's going to be a solution. There's no conditions based on who we are, who we have been, who our family is, who we grew up around, none of that stuff. It's come to Jesus in faith, and and that's the only condition. Verse 24, Jesus finally answers. Uh, Verse 24, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. So Jesus Jesus actually cares about this woman. Now, I know some of you are sitting there and like, okay, Nate, you're going to tell me that Jesus cares and he just called her a dog. I recognize that tension. We're going to address that. Okay. I think the first sentence, uh, I was sent to the the sheep of the lost sorry, I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I think that one is there partially for the disciples. Um, That seems to be, it's there for the disciples. It's to the woman, but it's also to the disciples. Uh, And so that's sort of the answer to when the disciples say, send her away. And it doesn't seem like a really loving response. And sometimes it's hard for us to reconcile the way that Jesus answers this question with what we know about Jesus. Um, 
So I, I don't know that he's looking at the woman and sort of being like, I wasn't sent to your people. He was sort of saying that with the disciples to sort of get them to understand, okay, this is my mission, this is my goal, and also there's some other things going on here. Like it was probably uncomfortable for the disciples to think like, you weren't sent to this woman, she's desperate, she's asking for help, we would like her to go away, and now you're like, well, I wasn't sent to you, and the disciples are like, they, they feel that tension maybe. The woman's response is very personal. She comes and she just kneels before him and she's very respectful, she's very worshipful and she's like, listen, Jesus, I really need help. Like that's her response. And Jesus' response, again, doesn't feel like the most kind. He, he answers with more of like an, an abstract. So he's not calling this woman a dog. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen, if Israel is the, in this analogy, children, then the Gentiles, the out, they're the outsiders. Maybe a better thought is, if your kid's sitting at the table asking for dinner, do you make a sandwich and put it on the floor for the puppies? Like, that's maybe a better understanding of this. Because, first of all, dogs were unclean, so they were sort of outsiders. But also, this isn't the word for, like, aggressive dogs or work dogs. This is, this is the diminutive, meaning puppies or house pets. So it's, it's not maybe as aggressive as it sounds when we read it. And he's saying, it's, it's a metaphor, it's an extended metaphor, and he's saying, listen, I understand that you're an outsider, I understand that you're sort of not here, and does that mean that you have those same rights as those people that are the insiders? That's more Jesus' question. Have we felt this? <laughs> when we ask Jesus for something and we're pretty sure it's a good thing, and Jesus is like, are you sure that that's what you want? Are you sure that that's what you deserve? We pray for things all the time that we think are good. We pray for health, we pray for healing, we pray for a job, for a house, for a car, whatever it is. We've got this idea of this thing that we're pretty sure is good. We're like, God, I know that you can provide this. I know that you're powerful enough. Please give this to me. And sometimes it doesn't seem like it works or the situation doesn't change, or it doesn't seem like God hears us. And a lot of times our response to prayer is, I guess that's that, and we give up. That's not the right response. And I say that looking at this because God wants a relationship with us. He wants a little bit of a back and forth. He wants us to be a little bit more insistent on on having that conversation with him. And when we struggle with the fact that it doesn't feel like God's listening or that God's paying attention, that's not unique to us and that's not unique to the New Testament and that's, that's just the way that it is in the, in the Christian life and in, in all of the life of, of just a relationship with God. If we look back at Psalm 13, right? So David, Old Testament, he says this, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? And so we read those words and we feel that. We feel like maybe God's not quite paying attention, that maybe he isn't quite remembering all the details of how our situation particularly is. But I think when we focus on that distance, we're losing picture of something larger which is God's still gracious to us, God still loves us, and God still wants a relationship with us. Right, the same psalm, if we go toward the end, if we skip to the the end, David doesn't get a response. He doesn't be like, thank you, God, for what you've given me in response to my prayer. But he does say this, 
Verse 6, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So David sort of takes this larger picture where he recognizes that God's done a lot for me. And even though this thing or this situation feels like God's far away, I know that in the larger scheme, God is still faithful. God still loves me. God still wants what's best for me. And so there's this larger recognition of the grace of God in the middle of this is a thing that I want, this is a thing that it feels like I'm not getting. Maybe a comparison is helpful. <laughs> How many of you really have worked out? Really worked out. I'm not talking about, ah, I just want to hang out and do something that's a little bit active. I'm talking about pushing yourself. Listen, there's pickleballers in the gym here twice a week. Some of them are working really hard. I'm not going to deny that, right? I'm not working out really hard right now, but I have. In the past, I have, right? Like, that's a thing that I've done. When you're working out really hard, you're like, okay, here's my next goal. Here's the next thing that I push for. I'm not going to eat this thing that I really like to eat because I need to hit this goal. I'm going to do something that's physically difficult. I'm going to feel like I'm going to throw up after I finish this sprint or this set or whatever it is. And you do that work because you want to get to a goal physically. You want to achieve something. It's hard. It's difficult. You push for it because you want it. We choose to be miserable physically because we have a larger goal in mind. Maybe we need to accept the fact that God is willing to make us a little bit miserable some of the time for something larger that he's got for us. Does that make sense? Like, I, it's, it's a hard thing to say, like, oh, God wants you to be miserable, because that, that kind of smarts a little bit. Like, no, God doesn't want us to be miserable. God wants us to grow. And sometimes growth requires some pain. And we've got to work through it in order to get there. And sometimes what that means is that we come to God and we're like, I really want this good thing. God says, how badly do you want this? And are you willing to really commit to this thing? Right? Like, back to the workout metaphor. Food and water and chilling are great things in and of themselves. But those aren't the things that make you get stronger. Right? So if I sit on the couch, like, that's relaxing. That feels great. And also... I'm not going to get any stronger if I just sit on the couch. That's, that's the end result. And so spiritually, if the first time we pray, God gives us exactly what we want, we're never going to grow in our faith toward him. We're never going to grow up spiritually. Biblically, the idea that we're, we need to work a little bit in our prayer and we need to beg God a little bit is consistent with the idea that things are hard, that things are difficult, and, and it it's just one of the commands. It's the way that it flows in Scripture. Look at Romans 12, verse 12. Paul writes, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. So he ties difficulty, being patient in hard times, with prayer. That's the way that things are. When things are hard, we turn to God in prayer and we're like, Hey, I can't do this. I need you to help me. Luke 18, 1, Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. The implication being they're going to always pray with the possibility of losing heart if they don't get... So like always pray, always keep praying. And Jesus told a parable and connected to that. Philippians 4 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So 
Anxiety doesn't pop up the first time you ask. That comes with a stressful situation over time. And we're, we're frustrated and it's difficult. And so that causes us to turn to God in prayer and to really chase after him. All of these connect continuous prayer to the fact that we're going through, through things that are hard and difficult and long-term, right? That's, that's just the way that they're connected. I don't always know, I don't know why, but that's the way that, that we are. And that's the way that God chooses to lead us some of the time. And so sometimes when Jesus doesn't answer immediately, it's not that we're asking for something that's bad. It's not that the answer is no. It's that he wants us to pursue a relationship with him. When we understand that and we don't get a good answer, our response needs to be, okay, Lord, I'm going to keep asking. And if you come and you tell me no and you say that this is final, then okay, then that's what that is. But until then, I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to keep pursuing that. I'm going to keep chasing that because I I think that's a good thing and I think that's that's what you want me to want. We look at this woman. She pushes back. Jesus is like, do you deserve this? Do you get a seat at the table? And she's like, I really don't care if I get at the seat of the table. I think that you've got enough authority and power that you can give me this, right? She's seen a two-year-old eat. She knows that there's food left over on the floor. It's the dog metaphor, (laughs) right? The puppies all get fed and that's really her response. She's like, listen, Lord, I understand that I don't get a seat at the table. Also, there's more than enough here for me too. Can I please have what's left? That's... That's an almost embarrassing level of humility for us. Like we read that and we're like, oh, she should have a little bit of self-respect. She should be like, no, Jesus, I get to sit at the table. She's like, I don't care. I'm desperate. Give me whatever you can, Lord. I will take it. She's not trying to compete. She's not trying to cut in front of everyone. She's like, God, you're gracious. You can extend this far. She's okay as long as she gets to be a part of the family. She'll She's okay with the role of, of the, le- the lesser role if she gets to be a part of the family. What she's really doing is humbly coming to God and saying, I want a relationship with you. I want that more than anything else. I want your help first and foremost. Question here, how do I respond when it seems like God says no to a good thing? Because we have these things that we're pretty sure are good. In the abstract, they seem like they're consistent with who God is and they're a positive. And so we look at that and we're like, all right, I'm going to ask for that. And God's going to say yes, because that's who he is. And then we don't get it and we get frustrated. Do we give up? Do we keep insisting? Do we come to God and say, listen, I don't care what the level is. I know that you're a good and gracious God and you've got capacity to give this to me. And so I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to keep asking. When everyone else is annoyed with me, I'm going to keep asking. And Jesus responds to her insistent with what? With compassion, because he's Jesus, and of course he does, right? Verse 28, Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was in, healed instantly. I don't know. I feel like Jesus using the language of, of children and dog was connecting her to something that's actually been painful for her. She knew she was an outsider. And so when Jesus says that, that kind of smarted for her, but then Jesus is like, actually, you get it. Welcome to the inside. You're not an outsider anymore. The answer is yes. That had to completely disarm her, right? She was not prepared for that answer like that. 
She thought that she was unworthy and she's asking for grace and Jesus is like, yes, absolutely, you can have it. And then he says, you have tremendous faith. Jesus says that two times in the book of Matthew. This woman is one of two people in this whole gospel that Jesus is like, you have amazing faith. That's pretty cool. (laughs) That's a pretty good response to this woman begging, right? When we look at this woman, she comes to Jesus in humility, with faith, and just asks. And when Jesus doesn't answer right away, she keeps asking. And when he says, I'm not sure about that, she asks again. And then Jesus says, yes. The disciples thought they were fine. They thought that they knew what Jesus was doing here. And then at the end, they're like, wait, I thought that she was an outsider. Why does she get it? <laughs> doesn't matter. She's, Jesus said yes. The thing is, is we all need that. We all need help. We all need a savior. And if we come to a situation and we're like, I'm pretty sure that we got this one handled. I'm pretty sure that I've figured out what Jesus is going to say yes and no to. I'm fine with this. Maybe that's the wrong attitude. Nope, it's definitely the wrong attitude. It's not a maybe. (laughs) To connect this to us, from a national standpoint, most of us are Gentiles. Most of us would be considered outsiders to the disciples. We may not have a demon-possessed child. We may not have the same level of pain or frustration, but we're not exempt from the fact that we're outsiders. But in his letter to Ephesians, Paul writes this, Ephesians chapter two. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Jesus, Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So our default position is that we're far away from God. We don't understand him. We don't understand what he's trying to do in the world. That's where we naturally start. And Jesus' love for us means that he died in order to reconcile us to himself. And so when we come to him in faith and we're like, Jesus, I really need help. He's going to say yes. When we come to him with our guilt and our shame and we know that we're outsiders, we're far away, we say, God, I need you to forgive me because I can't fix this. He forgives us and he brings us into his family. And so we're brought near because of the blood of Christ. Christ's death, burial, and resurrection are the things that bring us to him. If you've never done that, if you've never come to Jesus and just said, Lord, I'm a sinner, I'm an outsider, I want a relationship with you, I'd invite you to do that this morning. My question here is this, have I ever come to Jesus for help with my sin, guilt, and shame? And if the answer is no, don't leave here without doing it. Come talk to me afterwards. I'd love to have that conversation. I do think that it's significant that this is not a one-off. Jesus heals this woman's daughter, but that's not sort of the end of what Jesus does when he's in this other territory, right? If we look at verse 29, Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He went up in the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. They put them at his feet and he healed them so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind see, and they glorified the God of Israel. So that last phrase, they glorified the God of Israel, tells us this is probably not in Israel. 
So Jesus is still among the Gentiles and he's still healing. He's accepting all the outsiders that are willing to come to have, for help. That wasn't Jesus' mission. Jesus didn't come specifically to, to just come and be the king of the Gentiles. That wasn't his goal. He came to Israel originally. That was the point. But he's also sort of forecasting the fact that this isn't going to end with just him being the king of Israel. He is going to die. He's going to rise from the dead. And then he's going to offer healing to everybody. And so this is kind of a, a poke at the disciples. Like, hey, you guys probably need to get with the program. It's going to be a little bit, but there's going to come a point where you're going to have to reach out to, to everybody and, and acknowledge the fact that God isn't here for just you and your little clique. He's here for everybody. So the outsiders are worshiping the God of Israel. Again, our big idea, Jesus saves anyone who humbly asks in faith, anyone. You don't have to be an insider. You have to come to Jesus in faith. This is a little bit hard for us because our default is that we're followers of Jesus, which puts us in the disciples' camp. <laughs> right? When we think about our place in the story, I want us all to be the woman <laughs> and come and just be like, Jesus, I'm desperate. Please let me have a relationship with you. Please give me healing. That's, that's where we ought to be. But I think it's very easy as people that have, have come to Jesus and have somewhat of a relationship with him, it's very easy to slide into the spot of the disciples and be like, I'm pretty sure that I know who's the good guys and who's the bad guys. And I'm pretty sure I know that who Jesus is going to offer healing to. And let me tell you, we'll, we'll split this up. I'll, I'll handle this, God. And we serve a God that's willing to save anyone. So why do we think that we're the ones that can kind of figure out what those lines are? And so we need to stop being, that's, that's, that was almost going to be terrible. I'm just going to say we're going to stop being disciples. No, we still need to follow Jesus. We, <laughs> we need to follow Jesus, but we need to follow him not like we know what he's going to do or who he's going to save or who he's going to rescue. We need to follow him like he's God and we're not. Who are the outsiders that I need to show the love of Jesus to. Right? Because if, if we're sitting here, we're thinking about this picture, we're like, okay, the right place for me is to be just asking Jesus for help regardless. But then also as a follower of Jesus, I need to be willing to say, no, everyone gets to come. I need to show the love of Jesus to everyone regardless. I need to look at the outsiders and be like, nope, Jesus wants to help you too. And I'm willing to help Jesus help you. I'm willing to be his hands and feet in this. It's, it's really easy for us to just get a little bit ingrown on ourselves and like be impressed with how much we know or how good we are and not recognize the fact that, that we need to be inviting in outsiders to, and inviting them to have a relationship with Jesus the way that we have a relationship with Jesus. So I know I don't have review questions because my slides are kind of all over the map today. Um, <laughs> I sent the wrong ones. I'm sorry. It's kind of been a chore. It's not the AV's fault. I want you guys to know that it's my fault. <laughs> so we don't have slides. So I'm going to go through the questions so that you guys have them so that we were able to, to follow a little bit. The first question is, what's your attitude toward Jesus? Right? Like we talked a little bit about the Pharisees. The Pharisees just reject Jesus. They didn't care. Um, we talked a little bit about the disciples. The disciples thought they had Jesus figured out pretty well. Um, but really, the right attitude is that of the woman who just comes to Jesus and says, I need help. And so what's, 
What's my attitude toward Jesus? How do I think this through when I, when I look at what Jesus is doing? Uh, next, how do I respond when it seems like God says no to a good thing? Like I come to God and I'm like, okay, I'm pretty sure this is the plan. I'm pretty sure this is the direction we're going. God, please give me this. This is what I want. This is what I think you want for me. This is what I need. And God says, maybe not no. Maybe he just doesn't answer. Maybe he says, wait. How do we respond to that? Do we give up and we say, well, I guess that was that. I tried and God said no. Or do we say, Jesus, I know you said no, but I'm going to keep asking. And I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to keep asking because I'm pretty sure this is a good thing. And until you explain to me in detail why this is a bad thing or you change the circumstances, I'm going to just keep asking. Because really, a lot of times what God wants is for us to come to him in prayer and faith. That's, that's the real thing that God wants. And so just keep asking, keep asking. The next question is, um, have I ever come to Jesus for help with my sin, guilt, and shame? Uh, and I ask that if you've never done that, then you need to talk to me. You need to do that now. We need to have that conversation. But I think even sometimes as people that follow Jesus, we have sin, guilt, and shame, and we brought them to Jesus once, and so we think we're good. We need to keep being open and honest with Jesus and just admitting the fact that we're still sinners, that we still struggle, and we still need help. And then finally, who are the outsiders that I need to show the love of Jesus to? Right? If, if I'm a disciple and I'm standing there and this woman's asking for help, am I the one that's going to be like, hey, no, you need to see Jesus. Let me help you have a conversation with Jesus because I know him a little bit. Or are you going to be like, eh, can we push this one outside? Can we just make sure that she doesn't get any closer? What's, what's your attitude? Are, are you willing to help and show love to the outsiders that Jesus loves? Again, Jesus loves anyone who's willing to, Jesus saves anyone that's willing to come to him in faith, right? Like, and, and that anyone is so important. It's, it's not just me, it's not just my friends, it's, it's anyone. We come to him in faith, he's gonna, he's gonna have a relationship with us. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your love for all of us. You don't care about where we came from, you don't care about what our background is, you don't care what the thing that we ask you is. You love us and you want a relationship with us. I pray that we would respond with a little bit of stubbornness in trying to have a relationship with you. That, that following you and asking for your help and your love would be a thing that we never stop doing. That we would pursue you with all of our hearts. And that as other people around us recognize a little piece of your love and your, your ability to heal, that we would help them come to you as well. We would not be like the disciples and push people away, but that we would just be open and honest and bring as many people as we can to you because you're the one that heals. And you, you love all of us and you want to heal all of us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand and worship him in recognition.